0: Spend time with our church just as uh, spiritual parents who sit among us and love on us and encourage us, help us to work through some things. And David's been doing that in my life for almost 20 years now, mine and my wife's life. And uh, I just want to say this, when uh, God had put something in my heart and in my mind and other people didn't understand it, uh, David and Elaine were always there to help me wrestle it out. And, and, and take our eldership team to what God had spoken to us and he was our cheerleader, still is, like just this week they've been here maybe you haven't heard or seen much but they have been spending time individually with our leaders and uh, just loving on us and keeping us healthy as a team that's what we see, we see them as an apostolic covering for us and we want you to just receive what they have in the Lord as they're here this morning amen, so one more time let's give the Lord a hand amen, bless
1: you, bless you. Bless you my friend I do want to uh, begin by. uh, I'll preface this by saying this doesn't count on my time. (laughs) Uh, By reading, by reading a couple verses. It's just Matt giving me trouble. Okay. Uh, I'd like to read a couple verses, uh, where Paul writes and says, "You Philippians know." yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And five years ago, Don, when we set out, it was Firm Foundation that fulfilled that role for us. And, uh, you know, we stepped out in faith. That's what the Christian life is about. the older you get, you might think you can retire from the life of faith. Well, that's a delusion. In uh, fact, you can't even retire, you just get re fired. Um, but because of your standing with us, because the eldership team and you as a congregation did that, it gave us the faith to step out. And um, now our world has exploded around us. I pretty well need my birthdays to start going backward, to fulfill all the, the things that we see in front of us I never thought you know I always loved that song we sang this morning all my life you've been faithful I never thought I'd be speaking at a, a conference beside the people that wrote it uh, and God has just done that but you were faithful to us at the wedding somebody I can't remember who it was but somebody said welcome home And, you know, you're family. You are family to us, so many of you. Uh, And we're so grateful. When we were here in January, it took an hour to get from the front door to wherever I was headed. I was heading to the coffee, of course. i pestered Don for years to get that coffee on the go, so I'm taking some credit for it, (laughs) a little bit. Took me an hour to get from the front door to the coffee. And that's your kindness to us, and we're very grateful. And I want to say, too, that there is a couple seats they can hear this morning, and they're real big seats right at the front. Uh, and uh, I hope you're carrying Doug and Nancy uh, in your prayers this morning. They have given so much to so many of you and to Elaine and I. As a matter of fact, Doug just can't keep his finger out of it. Send me a darn prophecy right in the middle of worship. <laughs> and it was a good one, too. Thank you, Doug and Nancy. And... May the Lord bring restoration and healing and comfort to you and your family this week. I guess i better get on to the message. So when I noticed that Dom was giving this talk on the Red Sea, or series of talks, and everybody has been saying how great it's been, and so uh, I thought, well, am I all right in the sound? <laughs> I'll just carry on and hope for the best. Uh, I just want to give a message this morning that I hope will add to everything that your pastor has been teaching you. And I notice that he's moving on from the Red Sea to the Jordan. You know, it took the Israelites 40 years to get from the Red Sea to the Jordan. So you may think that your pastor preaches long series, but be grateful it didn't take him 40 years to get from the Red Sea to the Jordan. (laughs) Now, I want to talk to you this morning about the dividing of the waters. The book of Genesis begins with the mention of three things. Now, fasten your seatbelt because I'm going to take you on a tour of the Bible, and I, I'm uh, hoping that some of it lands with you and makes sense to you. If you can get a hold of this, I think it'll be exciting. Genesis begins with the mention of three things, the Spirit of God, the dividing of the waters, and the placing of people in a new land, the placing by God of His people in a new land. Three things. The Spirit of God was there, the waters divided, and God placed His people in a new land. That's in Genesis, because we read the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and part of God's creative work by the Holy Spirit was the waters divided. And what happened was that the waters which were under the heavens in Genesis, which is the lakes and the oceans, were separated from the waters which were over the heavens, that is, the water in the clouds. And God, by His Spirit, separated that out, and the land emerged. And then God created in the land, in the new land, God placed His people. That was Adam and Eve. He created them in His image with the commission To be fruitful and multiply, to rule over the earth as his representatives. By the way, we still are his representatives to rule over the earth, to push back the boundaries of the garden to the ends of the earth. We don't think about that so often. We think about Adam and Eve living in paradise and kind of having a great time and enjoying themselves. But the problem that they had was that they got fixated on their own need instead of the commission that God had given to them to push back the boundaries of the garden and take the earth for God. So when we forget about the kingdom commission that God has placed uh, in our lives and we start treating church as a place simply where our own needs are met, we're going to miss God. Right? So... I mean, the wonderful thing about churches and the body of Christ is that if you have a heart for God, your needs will be met. As you're giving, somebody else is going to give back to you. So we're here not, we didn't come here this morning to receive, we came to give. We came to give our praise and honor and worship to God. That's the primary reason that any of us are sitting here this morning. And as we give to God, God begins to give back to us. So that's the book of Genesis. And people say, ask me, you know, where is the, was the Holy Spirit there in the Old Testament? I said, have you not read your Bible? The Holy Spirit is there from the very beginning. So, uh, so Genesis uh, begins with that story, the Spirit of God, the dividing of the waters, and God's placing His people in a new, in a new land that He's created. Now, what's really interesting is the very same pattern occurs with Noah. Toward the end of the period of the flood, after the waters had come down, God, it says, caused a wind to blow, Genesis 8 and 1, a wind to blow over the earth. That word wind is the Hebrew word ruah, which means spirit. So God caused His Spirit to blow over the earth. So here we have the Holy Spirit again. Now what does the Holy Spirit do after the flood? It says that the action of the Holy Spirit causes a subsiding of the waters and the reappearing of dry land. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's exactly what the Holy Spirit did at creation. He divided the waters, and out of it emerged the land. And then what did God do? God, the generations of Adam had ended in wickedness, hadn't they? And so, God took aside Noah and his family, and He made a covenant with them. And when the Spirit of God divided the waters, God did exactly what He had done at creation. He took Noah and his family, and He placed them as His representatives in this new land. Are you getting it? I'm not making it up. It's the same thing that God did with Noah as He did with Adam. And not only that, Noah gets exactly the same commission that Adam did. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, it isn't just have lots of kids. Elaine and I did that much. But that's not the extent of our commission. Our commission, your commission, whether you have ten children or zero children, your commission is the same. It's to press back the boundaries of darkness. Press back the... (laughs) It's to press forward the boundaries of the... I'll get it right in the end. The kingdom of God and press back the boundaries of the kingdom of darkness and take this world for Jesus Christ. And that was what God had told Adam to do, and he failed. And that's what God told Noah to do. But unfortunately, sadly, the descendants of Noah were no better than the descendants of Adam. And that whole story of Noah ends in the judgment at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. But God isn't finished. You know God is so patient. He he, he has to be, certainly puts up with me. Nobody say amen, please. But God is so patient. But not only is God patient, He is very persistent. And so what happens then at the Red Sea? Well, we read in Exodus chapter 15 these words at the blast of your nostrils. Now, the word there is ruach. It's breath. It's spirit. So, what he's saying here, Moses, at the blast of your spirit, what happened? The waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. You blew with your wind, ruach. You blew with your spirit. And the sea covered them. The Egyptians, they sank like lead in the mighty waters until your people passed by and you will bring them over and plant them on your own mountain, Exodus 15. Now, notice what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is present. He divides the waters so that God can create yet another covenant people and bring them through and place them in a new land. It's exactly the same as God did with Adam, and it's exactly the same thing as God did with Noah. And the children of Israel received the same commission, Isaiah 49 and 6, to be a light to the nations. They're to push out the boundaries of the knowledge of God until the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. So God, at the Red Sea, divides the waters and brings His people To safety by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to create a new people and plant them in their own land. But Israel failed, just like Noah failed, just like Adam failed. The Spirit came, the waters divided, the people were given a new land and commissioned to extend the boundaries of the kingdom, but every time they failed. And then we have a kind of, let me take a a, a very quick detour, we have these strange events in the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And of course, I'm passing over Joshua going across the Jordan because that's a subject of the next series, and I don't want to butt in on what Don's got to say about that. So, but Elijah and Elisha, Elijah, he divides the waters of the Jordan, just like Joshua did. And walks on the dry land. Elisha receives a double portion of the what? The ruach, the spirit of Elijah, and that enables him to cross over. And so, Elijah and Elisha are what the Bible calls types or prophetic forerunners uh, of things of the new covenant that is coming. Elijah is the one with Moses, who meets with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Why? Because that's the law and the prophets testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Elisha is a type of Christ. His name means God saves, and he multiplies the loaves, just like Jesus did. He uh, heals the enemies of God, uh, like Naaman, the Syrian general, just like Jesus did. Elijah moves out of the old one-man band into the school of the prophets, which is a prophetic forerunner of the entire body of Christ because we're a prophetic people, all of us. And so, Elijah and Elisha both get involved with this dividing of the waters by the Spirit, and the implication being that God still has a new land, another new land. He did it with Adam, that didn't work. He did it with Noah. That didn't work. Not because of God. God wasn't faithful, but because the people weren't faithful. He did it with Israel. It didn't work. And he, he, he does it with Joshua and Elijah and Elisha. So what a connection do all these events have with Jesus? That's, that's kind of where everything leads, isn't it? Everything in the Bible leads to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of every single prophecy in the Old Testament, and through Jesus, uh, through and through Jesus, those prof- prophecies, prophetic words, continue to be fulfilled through us, His people. So, Luke chapter three and verse twenty-one says this: Now, when all the people were baptized. And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now what is the significance of the descending of the Spirit on Jesus? It wasn't that Jesus needed to be told he was God's Son. I think he knew that. He, he had existed before all eternity as the Son of God. I don't think he needed that information. And it wasn't that Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit because Scripture says in Luke 1 and 35, He was filled with the Spirit from the moment of His conception. So, the descent of the Spirit at the Jordan means something else. It's the moment at which the Messiah is empowered and commissioned to begin His ministry of the end times restoration of the people of God through the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus' baptism and His empowering by the Spirit marks the beginning of the fulfillment of His universal and everlasting reign. But it's more than that. Jesus' baptism is the fulfillment of what happened with Adam at creation. It's the fulfillment of what happened with Noah after the flood. It's the fulfillment of what happened with Moses at the Red Sea, and Joshua at the Jordan. And that's why it's so important that Jesus was baptized in water, and why He was baptized in the Jordan River. Because when we look at the baptism of Jesus in light of the Old Testament accounts of the dividing of the waters that I've said to you, it all makes sense. God commissioned Adam, then Noah, then Israel to extend His kingdom. Each had the help of the Spirit to go through divided waters to take possession of a land of promise. Each failed to achieve the goal, but God will not be thwarted. Jesus comes up out of the divided waters of the Jordan River. That's the significance of baptism. He comes up out of the divided waters by the power of the Spirit, just like in Genesis, to lead His people into a new land. And so, God's people can complete what had begun at the Red Sea and enter the Promised Land. The promises that Adam failed to take hold of, that Noah failed to take hold of, that Israel failed to take hold of, are now taken hold of by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's anointed by the Spirit to pass through the waters and place God's end times people, that's us, in a new land. And Jesus will succeed where everybody who went before Him had failed. So the Red Sea and the Jordan are only the prelude to the main event. Now, how will Jesus succeed? The next verses tell us. Jesus heads out of the Jordan if I'm right, to take his people with him into an eternal promised land. But there's one brief detour he has to take because you have to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And so when Jesus comes out of the water, where does he go? Into the wilderness. Who leads him there? The Holy Spirit. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, Matthew 4 and 1. Mark 1 and 12, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Luke 4 and 2, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit 40 days, tested by the devil. Jesus is there, the Spirit is there, the devil is there, and there in the wilderness, Jesus has a mission to accomplish. Now, look closely at what happens. Three times, the devil tempts Jesus. Three times, Jesus replies by quoting Scripture. All three, you think Jesus just said something random to the devil. No, no, he didn't. He quoted Scripture. In fact, he quoted Scripture from Deuteronomy. And the texts of Deuteronomy that Jesus cites in his reply to the devil are all drawn from the scenes of Israel's failure. When Israel went through the divided waters and failed. But Jesus has gone through the divided waters, remember, and he's not going to fail. So, three times the devil tempts Jesus. Number one, Israel had looked back to the food of Egypt and despised the manna God had sent. When offered bread, Jesus told the devil, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Number two, Israel had put God to the test at Meribah and Massah, demanding that God provide water to prove his reality. When the devil told Jesus, to test God by throwing himself from the top of the temple, Jesus refused to put God to the test. Number three, Israel had entered into idolatry and made a golden calf. When Jesus was told he could receive the kingdoms of the world if only he worshipped the devil, Jesus told the devil he will worship the Lord his God alone. Israel had spent 40 years of failure in the desert. Jesus took 40 days in the desert to turn defeat into triumph. Jesus is going to succeed where everybody else who went through the waters, Adam, Noah, Israel, had failed. And so Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The descending of the Spirit in the dividing of the waters and the triumph of Jesus over Satan leads where it was always meant to lead to the creation of a new people of God in a new land, not the geographical land of Israel, but the worldwide kingdom of God. And Jesus will fulfill His commission to extend the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And we were talking in Sunday school about this this morning, the reason that Matthew 24 and 14 says that, the, that Jesus will not return until the gospel of the kingdom has gone to every single ethnos or people group on the face of the earth, the reason that Jesus is not going to return until the gospel has gone to every single people group and there, that there are thousands of people groups, many of which are still unreached, is this, that Jesus will push out the boundaries of the kingdom of God to the very ends of the earth and take possession where everyone else had failed. Be fruitful and multiply. Jesus turned that into a different commission. He said, go and make disciples of every nation. He was thinking of the command given to Adam in Genesis when he said that to the disciples after his resurrection. Because Jesus is going to lead His people through the waters and plant them by the power of the Holy Spirit in a new land. And that's why the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. And that's why the Holy Spirit now dwell in dwells every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I often say, we are one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. We carry the power of the Holy Spirit within us. That's why you can pray for somebody. That's why the guy, gentleman, came out this morning and had a a, a complete tear in his knee and God healed him. It's because the Holy Spirit is with us as He was with Jesus to bring healing. It's why people this morning in this congregation and some listening online have come out of terrible darkness in their life, and the power of the enemy has been broken, addictions and depression and suicidal spirits and all the rest of it. Jesus has come by the power of his Spirit and visited you because you're part of his people. Don't ever doubt that you are important in the sight of God. If you are a one-person mobile tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, it means that you can go into your place of Employment. You can go into your college, you can go into your school, you can go into your neighborhood. Your pastors and elders, wonderful though they are, do not have the capacity to be everywhere in the sense that you as a corporate body can be. I can't remember who it was, but somebody this past week reminded us again of uh, Rose's ministry uh, that... Um, Randy and Rosa are back this morning, and Rosa had a powerful prison ministry and touched people's lives. It wasn't the elders that went in there, they weren't brave enough. It was Rosa. <laughs> See, you don't, you, the devil will tell you you're insignificant. We, there was a lady in Chicago last weekend, and we can, I can't tell the story because it's, there's too much confidentiality around it, but it started with me walking up to this lady. And I had just the most simple word. It was almost like you could hardly classify it as a prophecy, and yet I'd felt that God spoke to me. And I said to her, addressed her by name, and I said, You know, I said, This may seem simple, but I just want to tell you this God thinks, looks upon you as significant. You are significant. And my wife was standing beside me, and the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she had the most extraordinary prophetic word. And everybody started to cry, and God began to move. See, I, I just had a simple word. You're significant. You, you, you could say, well, you, uh, she sh- should already have known that. The Bible, every page of the Bible tells her she's significant. Sometimes we forget what we ought to know, and we need somebody else to come and tell us. Now, how many of you in here can go up to someone and say something simple like that? All of you can. You don't have to, you, you don't have to be hit by a lightning bolt from heaven and start, you know, shaking, rattling, and rolling to be a prophet. You can just go up to the person and say, you, beside you and, that you meet in the foyer on the way out and say, you know, I'm carrying you... you on my heart this week, I've just had a heavy burden for you. And watch the person dissolve in tears. That's the Spirit of God working through you. And the most, whenever the prophetic word operates, the amazing thing is, I think the impact is, even if there's not an instant solution to all the person's problems, it's that God knows about me. God knows about my situation. And let me assure you this morning, he does know about your situation. So, as Jesus rises out of the divided waters, he begins what the book of Revelation portrays from beginning to end as a new exodus. What God begins at the Red Sea, he is going to fulfill in the countless multitudes of people of every race and nation who have followed Jesus through the divided waters of baptism and into the eternal kingdom. I love baptisms. A friend of mine had a big baptism a couple weeks ago, and he said a gentleman came in off the streets, he got saved in the middle of the service, and at the end of the service, he jumped into the baptismal tank and said, I want to be baptized. Why not? Why do we wait for months and years? I got a young friend, oh, I like to stir your pastor up. I like to stir him up. And a friend of mine, a young evangelist in Pennsylvania, is holding tent meetings. He was—he's been holding them all summer. Young people have been coming from all over the place. Many, many have been baptized and saved and delivered and filled and all the rest of it. And he sent me a picture yesterday of a—it was almost like a tornado, a funnel cloud. The whole thing was coming right down in this massive tent full of people. And he said, as soon as the person took the picture, the Holy Spirit broke out in the tent— people started getting healed and saved and miracles were happening, it's that vinyl. And the young man's 28, 29 years old. And there's lots of young people today that we, we, you know, that's, that's where the fire is going to fall. That's where the fire is going to fall. This is where the fire is going to fall. Come on, somebody. Can I say that? This is where the fire is going to fall. I see a great visitation of God coming among young people. And we see it wherever we go. It's almost like don't even, you know, we, we don't even want to talk to anybody over about 30. You know, I say that. But it's just God is moving in the younger generation. In fearless faith, and it's just incredible. Like, I God, just give me a few more years so I can see more of it and just have a ringside seat. What some of these young people are doing today, I think it's incredible. So, where am I? I got to finish this message, or else I'll, I'll be in big trouble. Okay, so Jesus, fresh from his victory, he comes to Nazareth, and there he declares the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor freedom for the captives, and recovery of sight by the blind. And so Jesus tells the messengers that John sent, go tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. This is the signs of the kingdom. The lepers are cleansed. The poor have the good news. Preach to them. And he goes back to the words he quoted from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue at Nazareth. Those stricken with disease symbolize Israel's captivity. The healing miracles that Isaiah prophesied stand as a sign of the arrival of the messianic kingdom. Isaiah said, the blind will see and the lame will leap for joy. And those words were fulfilled in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason so many people in the city of Jerusalem got saved and brought into the kingdom when that lame man got up at the temple gate and started leaping for joy is because it was a fulfillment of Scripture, It wasn't just a great miracle that had happened. It was the prophesied word that Isaiah had given that when the Messiah arrived and the Messianic age had begun, the lame would get up and start leaping for joy. They knew this was the Messiah because of the signs and wonders that were following those that were preaching him. It's incredible. The restoration of the sick, the forgiveness of sins—it's the removal of the curse that had existed since the sin of Adam. The consequences of the fall are being reversed. The waters have been divided, and the people of God at last are entering the freedom that God intended for them since the very first day of creation. Don't tell me the Bible is just a higgledy-piggledy mixture of stories that have nothing to do with each other. Oh no. Oh, no. God used authors over a period of centuries and centuries and centuries who didn't even know each other to put in place this great patchwork quilt that has meaning from beginning to end. You know what? We should thank God we're alive in these days. To win. I wish I was younger, a lot younger, but Thank God I've lived to see this much. The extension of his kingdom is occurring today in ways never before seen in history. Folks, don't worry about economic disasters. Don't worry about wars. Don't worry about pestilences and plagues. I remember the day when I said right there in January of 2020 and said COVID is an example of one of the plagues of Revelation. It's going to shake up a lot of things but don't be worried about it. Why worry? God is in charge. This world belongs to Jesus, not the devil, and He's using all these things for His purposes. So, all these things are part of the fallen world in which we live, but we are rejoicing in the triumph of the Son of God. This morning, He succeeded where everybody else failed. In His unlimited grace and mercy, Jesus will take us with Him through the divided waters of baptism and into the promised land. Glory be to God. Come on, give the Lord a big hand to praise.
0: Here's what I want us to do. Stand in this place quick. Gentlemen, take this. There's a couple of things I want us to grab a hold of right away, right now. David so beautifully connects the Red Sea to the baptism of Jesus. Not to just walk us through the Scripture to help us see what just casually reading the Scripture keeps us from seeing, but digging in.